Since Jesus is coming again, we need to get moving, right? Today we will continue the... Word of prayer as we're opening God's Word, and then I'll give you just a very brief uh, summary of what we covered last week for those of you that were not here. Let's bow our heads. Gracious God, we thank you for your holy word. It is a light in the darkness, a light to our path, guiding us in the direction of eternal life. Pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be here this morning, that he will energize every person here. May your word come alive for each, for this, each person. And we pray, Lord, that the Anderson Church and indeed all of, all of the Seventh-day Adventist churches will be powerhouses for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we looked at the earlier verses of Exodus chapter 18 last week, we saw that uh, Moses' wife and children were with Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, and that as the nation of Israel was moving closer and closer to where Jethro lived, Jethro seems to have taken the initiative, maybe spurred on by his wife, to, um, to make contact with Moses. And so last week we saw that Moses and Jethro met. They seemed to, everything seemed to be fine. They sacrificed together. I believe that was in verse 12 of Exodus 18. They worshiped together, praised God for taking care of the Israelites, just like we praise God. I was saying to God last night, Lord, I would just love to be a person that could continually thank you. That's a pretty basic thing. He, he's the creator. He, he, we talked today about many blessings that God gives us, protection that God gives us. Uh, how often do we thank him? So I want to be known as a person, at least in my own heart, who, who finds it easy to thank God on a regular, continuous basis. Seems to me that that's a, a good thing to pray for. So we, they thank God and for the first time, Jethro saw Moses functioning as judge. At least this seems to be the first time. And Moses, in verse 13, I believe it is, and we'll read that together, takes up his role as judge. So it says there, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. And we commented on that last, last week. What we have here is a very ineffective way of doing ministry. We have a bottleneck. We have one man that everything's going through him. He's the man. Didn't we say that? Moses is the man. Very few of us can argue with that. But even though he's the man, he's doing the ministry the wrong way. It's all going through him. It's a pastor-dependent situation. It's a bottleneck. It's slow. It's ineffective. At least that's the way Jethro seems to see it. Because it says there in verse uh, 14, 
When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? So he's asking questions first. Maybe that's just a tactful way of doing it. Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I, me, me, I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Now, I'll agree, there was probably nobody within the nation of Israel who understood the ways of God better than Moses, right? Most of us would probably agree with that. He had a better understanding than most, I would imagine, on the laws and decrees and correct interpretation to the situation. But hey, we're talking of possibly hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people in a nomadic desert situation. Can you imagine the issues that would crop up on a daily basis? Can you imagine how long the line would be? Can you imagine the stress, the burnout that Moses was facing, and the frustration on the part of the people? Things were building up. God has sent Jethro along to find some solutions to this ministry bottleneck. So Moses is sincere, but that doesn't make it the most effective way of doing ministry just because somebody is sincere or because that's all they learned at seminary. I've always felt that college and seminary never, ever prepared me for the ministry. And that's a sermon in itself. But there are, there are different ways of doing things. I always figure there's, there's a, there must be a better way of doing things. And here we hear from the lips of this man a better way of doing things. Just before we move on to that, I'm trying to imagine um, what it's like for, what are the self-expectations of Moses? He feels he's sincere, he's doing things the way that he knows how, working really, really hard, so hard that I think very little time for family. Is that, can that be a problem in the ministry? doing ministry. The expectations of people, God has his expectations. Moses has his expectations. The people have their expectations. And so it is in the church today. And if any of us feel that we're so gifted that all the ministry have to go through us, then we're going to have some kind of wake-up call. Last week, I called this a teachable moment because they'd been led out of Egypt, the Amalekites had, had attacked them, and now it was a time of, of peace, peaceful, teachable moment. And, the, and that's going to come through Jethro. So Jethro says in verse 17, what you are doing is not good, and that's where I left it last week. What you are doing is not good. Now, I don't know if I would have said it that way. I probably would have said, what you're doing is good, but there's a better way. Because there must have been some people benefited from it, 
don't you think? Even though it would have been on a very slow basis. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. That seems obvious. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. So Moses is not kicked to the curb, right? Moses has a, a legitimate function, tremendous understanding of the, the ways and the will of God, could interpret them into their, their situation there in the desert so that a satisfactory solution would be found. But really what's happening here and what Jethro goes on to say is you need to deal with the difficult stuff, Moses, not the day-to-day -day stuff. How many times have, as a pastor have I done ministry where I thought, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so should be doing this? Some of you in this audience have, have even said to me, well, come, pastor, go make this visit. And then when I try and, try and turn that in a different direction and say, well, you can go and make this visit with so-and-so, no, pastor, no one can do it as well as you. All of that, that kind of mentality is what I call the Moses dependency model. And what we need is to go from dependency to equipping to equip people for ministry. So here he says, after he's told Moses his role, and that would have made a lot of sense, I'm sure, to Moses, verse 21, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God. So here's some of their character traits. Fear God, trustworthy, who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over hundred, thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. So Moses, you are important, very important. God has raised you up to lead these people, but there's a good way of leading them, and there's a not-so-good way of leading them. That will make your load what? lighter because they will share it with you. Not individual ministry, but shared ministry. Teamwork, almost an alien word to Seventh-day Adventists at times. Teamwork, sharing, working together. I like that. That makes a lot of sense to me. When I see the way that things are done in many churches, not just Seventh-day Adventist, then we need to get to a different way of doing things, from dependency through a few individuals to collaboration, all of us together. Why? Because everybody's been gifted. Everyone that's in Christ is gifted. Everyone that's in Christ has ministry to do, has a work to do. In Ephesians, Paul says that these works were figured out before the creation of this world. So the challenge for you and I is to find what is God's plan for me? 
How has God equipped me for ministry? How many of you know the answers to that? Just raise your hands if you know the answers. What, what is God's plan for you, and how has He equipped you? Anybody? That's pretty sad. Look around, folks. The leaders in this church look around. It is your responsibility and my responsibility. It's all of our responsibilities to figure out how God has equipped us to advance His kingdom. We're not placed on planet Earth just to get through the pearly gates on our own. We need to be taking people with us. And we need to be looking around the church family that He has given us and trying to figure out how each, every one of us is gifted. I've had some really, really fun times doing that uh, over the years in other churches that I've been in where we've had spiritual gift seminars, and it's been a real learning experience for, for many. It's, uh, there are different ways of doing that. You can have interviews, you can have surveys, you can pray about it, you can experiment. That's one of the best ways. Get your toe in the water. Um, how wonderful it was to be teaching a Bible class here not too long ago, and one of the, the, the younger church members coming to me and saying, I want to do some health ministry for the Lord. Okay, write it down. Let me see what, what you want to do, and, and let's discuss it. And so that led to our Monday evening health emphasis at 6 o'clock. Didn't hear one amen to that. Don't you get excited when people are using what God has given them? Do we want a passive church, a spectator church? Is it about being entertained? If it's about being entertained, well, you'll do better through the goggle box, through Hollywood or whatever. But we're not about that. That's not what God's kingdom is about. It's about all of us getting involved in ministry. So I get great satisfaction when somebody responds and then doesn't just say they want to do something, but actually launches out and gets involved and then has a measure of success. And that individual's success is our success. That's like your mother, your father, your wife, your spouse, your children, discovering something in their lives and then putting their talents to work and then having a measure of success. And in my family, we all rejoice. That's the way healthy families should be. We're not competing with one another. We're not trying to put one another down. And we're really not trying to put one another up on a pedestal. We're just realizing that we're all gifted, we're all talented in some way, shape, or form. And when those gifts and talents are put into ministry for other people, then God is pleased and God's people should be pleased too. All right, so the difficult cases need to come to Moses, our text said, and his load will be lighter and they will share the ministry with you. And if you do this, and God so commands. So it's not like Jethro's bossing him around here. Jethro is the one planting the seed, making the suggestions. Moses is going to have to pray about it. Moses is going to have to talk to God about it. 
And I tell you, Moses is going to have to go through a whole lot of self-examination here. Lord, have I been doing wrong for so long? I thought this is what I was supposed to do. And then, of course, at some point, God is going to speak to him and advise him, yes, this is a good plan that Jethro has. And, of course, it's God who had put it into Jethro's heart. doesn't say why he didn't tell Moses directly, but isn't that God, God's um, choice to do that, that he can work through the mouth of a child? He can work through a mouth of a donkey, through a crazy prophet like Balaam. God can work through dreams and visions. Primarily, he works and speaks to us through his word. Have you ever been studying the word of God and got really excited about something and then start to see that come alive in your life? We all should know something about that on a, on a regular basis. So God has lots of ways of, of sharing things with us, truths, better ways of doing things. He can do it through books, through the writings of Ellen White, many different ways. We don't want to limit him in any way. So to me, Jethro is the one who is sowing the seed here. Moses seems to have a good attitude. He seems to, if we go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, for example, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 1. Here's how he words it there. Verse 9. He says, At that time I said to you, you're too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as many as the stars in the sky. Verse 12, but how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? Choose some wise, understanding, and respected man from each of your tribes, and I will set them over you. And you answered me, what you propose to do is good. So I took the leading men of the tribes, wise, respected men, and appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands and hundreds, fifties and tens, as tribal officials, and I charge your judges that time, hear the disputes between your brothers, and judge fairly whether the cases between brother Israelites or between one of them and an alien. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of any man, for judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you, and I will hear it. And at that time, I told you everything you were to do. So that's Slightly different perspective, but seems to fit in very well with what Jethro is suggesting here. And if you do this, back to Exodus 18, verse 23, and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. So I ask you, church leaders, and some of you are from other churches here, your leaders in your own church, whatever that might be, do you want the people to be satisfied? Do you want the people to be fruitful? Because if everything's going through a few individuals, then the rest of them are possibly passive. They're not strengthening and exercising the gifts that God has given them. 
And I'm so grateful that Moses was open-minded enough to take this counsel, take it to the Lord. The Lord gave him the green light, and Moses listened, verse 24, to his father-in-law, did everything he said. He chose capable men from all of Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times, the difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Three things stand out here. Moses had to change his role. Most pastors, if they pastor long enough, will have to change their role. We're seeing real challenges to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, especially in areas of the world like Europe, North America, where the work is relatively slow. Um, we're going to see pastors having more and more churches as they have in some other parts of the world. I remember that one of the pastors I worked with once, uh, when I was straight out of college, he had, he had had maybe 12, 15 churches that he had pastored. This is going to become more of the norm if the tithe trends keep going the way that they are. It's not all bad. It will mean that some churches collapse because they become so pastor-dependent that unless they can adjust and rearrange things, they're just not going to make it. So Moses had to change his role. His own self-expectations had to change. The people's expectations had to change. Also, there had to be a sharing and a developing of leaders. So those leaders that are listening to me this morning, and some of you who are prospective elders are going to meet with me at 12.30, so just a little reminder for that. We'll meet in room two. All of you in leadership should be developing new leaders. I was pleased this morning that uh, one of our children's classes, the teachers were not able to be there today, and so somebody stepped in at the last minute to help out. And I asked uh, one of the mothers, well, how did it go in your class? She said, it went great. Big smile on her face. She went home satisfied. Her little girl went home satisfied because somebody took the initiative and stepped in there. So developing leadership is a very, very satisfying thing for a leader, or at least it should be. Now, if you've got a huge ego and you want to be on the pedestal and you're not willing to share responsibilities with other people, then it's very threatening for you. But if you have the biblical attitude, if you have the heart of Jesus, think of Jesus gathered just a few people around him, poured his life into those few people for around three years. The 12 became 120. The 120 became much larger, especially when persecution came to Jerusalem and they were having to move out. And we seem to have the impression from the book of Acts that the church did not need a whole lot of encouragement to get the word out. Yes, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and it may have taken persecution at times, but by and large, the gospel spread pretty fast. Was it all going through Jesus? No. Was he the most talented individual around? Yes. But from Jesus, we learn about shared ministry. He understood his role very well. 
Do we understand our role? I'm still learning what it means to be a pastor. I'm having to adjust. I didn't learn these things in, in school. And then to develop leadership. Did, did Jesus develop leadership? Very well. Would you have staked the church on those guys? The whole future of the Christian church on some of the, the attitudes that those disciples had? They had to change their attitudes. They had to be converted in, in many areas of their lives. But we see a church that went from strength to strength pretty much in one generation uh, shared the gospel with the then known world. So sharing and developing leadership. Some of you here have developed successful small groups. I was talking with uh, one of our visitors just a few days ago, how she had, was involved in, in a successful uh, small study and prayer group, and, and her face lit up when she talked about that, that experience. It's something that she looks forward to on, on a regular basis. So, if you, so within a small group, the advantages are that it, it's very relational. One of the problems of coming to church here, if this is the only experience, exposure you have to the church family for an hour or two Sabbath morning is, is that there isn't a whole lot of interaction. In a healthy small group, there is. There should be transparency in a healthy small group. There should be a learning experience, learning not just informationally, but, but in many other ways emotionally. So many advantages of doing it that way. And finally, the third point and the final point is decentralize the structure. If everything's going through one person, it's slow and it's ineffective. If it's shared ministry, it, it will become hopefully strong and healthy ministry, especially if the leadership is intent of always saying to the Lord, that's what I do as a pastor, Lord, where are you putting the gifts? When I look over this church family, those are the kind of questions that are going through my mind. You impress upon me, and not just me, on all the leaders of our church, uh, where the gifts are. And if suddenly somebody just steps up to the plate, like I gave you one experience that did it, I had another one just a few days ago, where one of our visitors was saying, well, I'm, I'm willing to be used here at the Anderson Church. Is that good news? See, if you lay the right emphasis, which is what we're trying to do here, even though it will be, change is always hard. I'm not saying it was easy for Moses to change. I don't think for a second that it was. Change is hard. But if the way we're doing something is not very effective, there's a good chance that there's a better way of doing it, right? So three points here. Change your role, possibly. Share and develop leadership. And decentralize the church structure. Ultimately, what we're talking about is equality of ministry. Yes, we respect somebody if they seem to have what we would consider specialized ministry. I actually don't know if that's the right way or a good way to explain things. But it does seem in Corinthians that Paul says God has put first in the church. Remember that passage? first apostles and, and secondly prophets and teachers and 
so on and so forth. So we respect these people who are able to deal with the more difficult situations, possibly. How many times have I said to you, send the difficult ones to me? But who's going to take care of the rest? God's people, God's church, the Anderson church members are to do that. And how satisfying. It says in our text that Moses sent Jethro home. Jethro seems to be happy. Why should he be happy? Because somebody's bought into his model of ministry? Well, it's more than that. Jethro has a daughter that needs a husband to spend time with her. And if he's being so stressed out from morning till evening, solving everybody's problems, he has no energy for her. That's common sense, isn't it? No energy for the children. So as a wise father, Jethro wants the best for his daughter and the best for his grandchildren, and that comes with shared ministry, team ministry, nobody gets stressed out, nobody gets burnt out, there's time for church, there's time for family. And all of those decisions have to be made. If you're going to buy into this model of ministry, folks, you're going to have to say yes to some things and no to others. Is that common sense too? It's obvious, but sometimes it needs to be spelt out. So my style of ministry is evolving by the day as I understand better some of these biblical principles. I hope, especially those of you that have read some of the literature that we've been passing around, I hope that you're grasping the principles too and that we can put a system in place here where everybody gets their shot at doing ministry. And if the Lord has laid something on your heart, we want to open the way for you to do that ministry, even if it's something that seems off the wall, something we've never tried before. And then hopefully, who's the one who's running the church? Jesus. Do we believe that? See, I don't know if we really believe that. Jesus is the one, the Bible teaches, that is the head of the church. So, and he works through his Holy Spirit, so his Holy Spirit is going to impress me in what to instruct and teach. He's going to impress you in, in what areas of ministry to get involved. We're not all going to be doing the same. It's going to be a great variety that's there, but we're all going to be encouraging one another, whether it's at the flea market, whether it's Monday night leading a health class, or whatever form it takes. It's all important. It all has its place. And, and, if, and you use the one gift that God has given to you, don't be surprised if your gifts increase. And your sense of satisfaction. You know, I never, never forget this. I was in a church in Sacramento. Many of you know which church I'm talking about. I have never, ever in my whole ministry been in a place where there is so much talent. But a lot of that talent was wasted. It was staying in the pew. It was not being exercised 
For, yes, of course, they had the faithful 20% who did their part. But we're not interested in 20%, are we? We want 30, 40, 50, 60, 70%, 80%. Dare we, dare we, does our faith extend enough for 100% of God's church to be fruitful in ministry? Why not? Why not? Why should we set limits on the potential on anybody? Why would we want to do that? I know the devil would like to do that, and he does it constantly. You're stupid. You don't count for very much. You're not in one of the key leadership positions in the church. He, we know, hopefully, his methods. But God's methods are to put the Holy Spirit in someone, convert them, give, give them gifts, and then within the church family, they are to discover those gifts, they are to exercise those gifts, and we are to encourage, we are to fan the flame of ministry in the Anderson Church. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your goodness and your love. We thank you for this about turn on the part of Moses and the sense of satisfaction and fruitfulness that came from many, many from developing leaders, leaders, Lord, and many, many more people getting involved in ministry. We also see in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 6, that the apostles kind of lost their focus too. And they had to readjust. And they had to say no to some things and yes to others. But the God, you raised up deacons. Some of them became great leaders in the church too. And everybody was satisfied with that solution. And I pray, Lord, at the Anderson Church, help us with our fears, our comfortableness with our status quo. Take us out of our comfort zone, Lord, and help us to stretch in faith with you. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.